0: Rambam Mishneh Torah, Hilchas Shavuot, or Shavuos, the Laws of Oaths. Perek Shlishi, Chapter 3. We're going to learn some more details about the Laws of Oaths, and interesting, as we already talked, this is a law which pertains to a verbal statement which actually creates a reality which could have serious ramifications. So from here we learn that what we say and what we don't say it has critical importance. Now in this chapter, we're gonna learn a lot of complex laws, interesting laws, pertaining to what we say and what we think about when we say it and so on. Anyone who takes an oath. Who swears, May Arba Mineshwus Elu of the above forementioned categories, discussed at great length in chapter one. Beones however, he was being forced to do so. Someone put a gun to his head, knowing how holy and sacred an oath is to a Jew. He told them, take an oath that so and so. Take an oath that you don't know where the money is. But he's holding a gun at his head. (laughs) This person is exempt from all liability, from all culpability. An oath taken when one is forced to take it has no value this applies to a person who at the very beginning of the process was forced to take an oath which was of course a false oath as we already explained or another scenario he swore and he meant to swear he said I swear I'm going to San Diego today and he was stopped. There was a highwayman who said, You're not going to San Diego. Or there were floods, or whatever the situation is. Or a better scenario a bully, a strong man, a starker, went and said to him, I want you to pay me so and so. And I, he says, I don't owe you anything. He says, take an oath. So the guy forced him to take the oath. Lafikach, therefore, because we say that oaths entered into under compulsion, there is no liability for them. Nishboyim lacharomim vilahergim vila We can take an oath to somebody who is robbing us, wants to know where the money is, swear you don't have any money or to a potential murderer your money or your life and he says swear or to tax collectors now The Rambam is going to define what kind of tax collectors. There are legal tax collectors and illegal tax collectors. If someone is living in a land which has tax laws, then those tax collectors are legal tax collectors. Then one may not not swear falsely to them. But we're talking about in the olden days when people used to buy the right to collect taxes and then they used to do whatever they want as we will explain. So what Paragraph 1, law 1 tells us in chapter 3, in chapter 3 is a very interesting and very important law. The whole idea of the sanctity of an oath loses its punch when you're forced by someone to do it because he wants to extract something from you that doesn't belong to him. Bays 2... Tax collectors. What kind of tax collectors do we talk about? We're talking about a self-appointed tax collector, who collects money without the knowledge of the king, Hamadina of the country. So he's like a vigilante tax collector. Another scenario of a tax collector we can take a false oath to, if he forces us to. The king gave him license to collect taxes. But he adds a hefty amount for himself. So he is a thief tax collector. As we explain in the laws of robbery. But a real tax collector representing the real government, that is a tax collector that has to be respected. And all oaths made to that tax collector are binding. In general, today, at least in most of the countries that we're accustomed to you have governments back then you had every uh, nine-digit zip code had its own king and its own government and there was a lot of vigilante stuff so everybody was a king and everybody was a tax collector and it's not so simple we're talking about people who are very strong people and they're self-appointed and Or even if they're partially sanctioned by the government, they do a lot of illegal stuff. Let's use another scenario. Somebody hurts a child in some way. And then he says to the child you must swear to me you'll never tell anybody very common stuff is, is that a binding oath of course not every person knows that's not a binding oath you know what every person knows it except for the child because the child wasn't listening with his rumble it's a very important law that oaths that are taken under duress are not oaths. However, here the Rambam points out an interesting law that our sage is instituted that one who is forced to take an oath which is false that he should have some kind of intent in his heart at the time of the oath for something that will exempt him so he's got to think something which makes sense that only he knows that that's what he was referring to when he took the oath even though in chapter 2 we learned that if somebody has something in mind in his heart that doesn't count it's what you say that counts we learned that are not words but here there's a different situation somebody is forcing him there's a strong man forcing him to do it here we can rely on his thoughts in his heart and again commentaries explain that by torah law when somebody forces you to take an oath the whole oath is worthless our rabbis instituted that you should at least have something in your heart to have the words of the oath be able to have truth. For example, and he spells it out here, for example, he takes an oath to the bully, to the strong man, his oath is that he will not eat any meat." In other words, the strong man, the bully says to him, the robber says to him, give me your money. I don't have any money. If you have money, swear to me, you'll never eat meat again in your life. So he says, I'll never eat meat. In his heart he meant, he meant today. I'll never eat pig's meat. In other words, he has a hook in his heart which he alone can define. That's what he meant. Then that's fine. Or similar. It's always preferable to have that hook. So also, there's another example, another category of oaths oaths of exaggeration i swear that building is goes up to the heavens i swear there were a million people there that's called an oath of exaggeration no building goes up to the heaven unless the heaven comes down really low and uh, a million people I, i've shared the story in the past my father a blessed memory who was my teacher also Used to tell the story of the kid who came to school and he says, Oh, you know, I saw a squirrel with a tail a mile long. The teacher says, a mile long? Can you imagine how long that squirrel? Stayed? He says, not a mile. I, three quarters. Three quarters? Ah, half a mile. Half a mile. A quarter? A quarter of a mile. He says, okay, four blocks. He says, imagine a squirrel with a tail, four blocks. He says, okay, a hundred, a hundred feet. He says, okay, 25 feet. A tail with a so he says, "Teacher, you want the squirrel not to have a tail at all? <laughs> what are you doing to the tail of the squirrel?" So that's called Hawaii, That's called exaggeration. People love to exaggerate because it's dramatic. Or the alshgoges, unintentional oaths. Poteraleym. Both these categories of exaggeration and unintentional are. Not one is not culpable for them, and he 's going to give examples what is an, an example of an exaggerated oath? he saw a massive army, mucho soldiers, or he saw a large, high wall. he swore that I saw I saw. The army of this and this king, they are as numerous as the number of Jews who left Egypt. That's an expression which Torah-studying Jews say. It was it was like the numbers of those who left Egypt. Now, we know that 600,000 men between the age of 20 and 60 left Egypt, plus women and children, about 2.5 million. The army he's talking about was 1,000. A 1,000 a thousand is not 2.5 million. But that's normal to make a statement like that. But it was an oath. Vishra masir playing as I saw the wall of this in this city. it reaches into the heavens. Again, I've shared this many times in my classes. How do you say skyscraper in Yiddish? A volkenkratzer, a cloud scratcher vulcan kratzer why is a skyscraper called a cloud scratcher because it's scratching the clouds so i saw the wall was creeping into the sky or anything similar he didn't mean that it's exactly that without more or less He only wants to illustrate the great height of the wall or the great multitude of the people. In fact, the Torah says that. That the spies came back and said that they they spoke in terms of exaggeration about the natives of the land. They reach into the heavens and so on and so forth. So that doesn't count. The other category he began with, halacha five, is shugogas, unintentional. What is an unintentional oath? Shvuah shel shugogas im shvuah soedis. Iyat pikadon. He depends on the category. If it's the category of oath having to do with testimony, where he's called to testify, he says, "I have no testimony." Iyat pikadon. Or he's called. To return an object that he has, he says, what object? He simply made a mistake. He thought he had no testimony. He really did when he swore that he had no testimony. He really forgot that he had this person's object. Here he's he's exempt. I mean, he doesn't have to take the punishment, so to speak, for violating the oath because it was completely unintentional. Obviously he has to pay back the money or he has to give the testimony but that's not the issue here. The issue is the oath. Kamesha B'yarnu, as we explain, what is a Shavuas shav? Kigein Shanishba We said earlier that one cannot take an oath that one will not do a mitzvah because God commands us to do mitzvahs if he swore that he would not put on tefillin. That's an example of the above, above the above forbidden oath. For well, the other should film mitzvah. He was ignorant. He didn't have a Jewish education. He didn't know that film was a mitzvah. Comes into a shul, somebody says to him, would you like to put on tefillin? He says, I swear I'll never put on, I swear to God I'll never put these boxes on. But he didn't know it was a mitzvah. So therefore, he didn't mean to violate this law. And if it's a false oath, not an oath violating a mitzvah, but the category of false. For example, he took an oath that he wouldn't eat. He took an oath that he didn't eat. He reminded himself that he did eat. He swore that he would not eat. And then he forgot the oath, and he ate or he swore that his wife would never derive any benefit from him I've had it with this woman because she stole his wallet again she steals my wallet she hit my kid then he found out she didn't take anything she didn't hit anybody (laughs) she was completely innocent but in the meantime he took an oath these are simply erroneous situations there is no basis to them because at the time that the oath took place he meant well and he never meant to violate the oath in every one of these situations so therefore the halacha is no ramifications so now comes a problem if All of these are situations where inadvertently somebody unintentionally violated the oath with all the scenarios above and they're just meaningless, no ramification. In in that case, 7, Where do we find a scenario of the inadvertent acting out of an oath of pronouncement I did eat, or I didn't eat, I will eat, or I won't eat. Where we learned earlier that a sliding-scale sacrifice has to be brought if it involves pest. The answer is, (laughs) If he swore he didn't eat this and this, he knew he ate. Not that he didn't realize it, he knew! He knew that this was a false oath. He didn't know that when somebody does that, he has to bring a sacrifice. That's that kind of inadvertent transgression with this particular oath. What about future? He swore he would not eat. Wheat bread. And he erred with Dima and he thought. He thought that he took an oath that he will eat wheat bread. Where he simply forgot the verbiage of the oath. He remembers the wheat, but he forgot yes or no. That's the way one can inadvertently err with this kind of an oath in the future, where one would require a sacrifice. nine. If he swore that he wouldn't eat wheat bread, and he did, thinking that it's barley, someone gave him bread, and he thought it was barley bread. His oath only encompassed wheat bread. onus That's something that is considered inadvertent, or accidental, or potter, is exempt. It's not that he forgot the oath. He didn't realize the object. He forgot how the oath came down. And he forgot the object. He's exempt. If he swore not to eat bread of wheat. He, thought he swore, yes. That he will eat bread of wheat. And he ate bread of wheat. Thinking it's barley. Both were forgotten. The oath. And the object. That's just like it was beyond his control. And he's totally exempt. And finally, Yud Aleph 11 in this very short chapter. Nishva, if he took an oath. al Regarding a loaf of bread he swore that he would not eat it when it's tired all of and then he became so sick so upset so hungry he ate it because he was starving because he was so hungry he was so uncomfortable and this would be considered why because he erroneously believed that because he's so upset and because he's so hungry and because he's so out of it, then his condition overrides the oath. That was his thought process, that was his error. So again, he's exempt from sacrifice. Because it's not that he has new knowledge. he he knew then it was forbidden he knows now it was forbidden but he thought that because he was very hungry it was permissible so that's the kind of inadvertent act that does not require a sacrifice so we we learned a lot of interesting things in this chapter three that when we talk about violating something inadvertently There is a shogig, and then there's an onus, An onus means something that is beyond our control, and then within shogig itself, some are considered halachically shogig, and some are considered halachically exempt from the shogig application. End of chapter 3.